Welcome to the Daily Standard Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Graham. This episode brought to you by SaneBox.com. Take control of your email. Stop working for your email. Put your email to work for you with SaneBox.com. More on that coming up. A fantastic cover story in this week's Weekly Standard what makes America great? And we've gotten so much feedback on this story that I've asked the author of the story, Daniel Krauthammer, to join us and talk a little bit about it. Daniel, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much, Michael. Glad to be here. Joining us from the West Coast. And I got to start with first things first, the first thing our, our readers notice, I'm sure. So, Krauthammer, uh, that's not that common of a name. No. Uh, link to anyone no, but... we know? <laughs> yeah, not exactly. Uh easy to stay anonymous with a, a last name like that. So, uh, yes, Charles Crowdhammer, who I'm sure most uh, Weekly Standard readers uh, know about and uh, hopefully are fans of, I guess, that's uh, that's my father. Well, I didn't want to say this. My uh, mother-in-law has a huge crush on your dad, and uh, <laughs> I got to meet him at one of the Broadmoor events with the Weekly Standard, which is just a great event at beautiful Colorado Springs, just fantastic. And yeah. that's when I learned that my wife, who was with me, also has a huge crush on your dad. So <laughs> I managed to, yeah. to, to keep her at, a, at an appropriate distance as best I could. Well, that's, your... that's good to hear. I, <laughs> I, it's funny. I think usually when I talk to friends and they figure out who my dad is, they, they tell me not that they're fans, but they're, it's usually their mother or perhaps grandmother are <laughs> <or> fans. <so. laughs> well, I'm not going to well, confess yeah. my man crush on your father to you right here <laughs> on the air. But, but stay on afterwards. I'll talk to you about it. Okay. Uh, so anyway, no, your piece is, is uh, uh, terrific, and it's gotten a lot of attention. And I want to ask you, what is the difference between nationalism and patriotism in your mind, and how do you think Donald Trump misperceives or misuses that difference? Sure. Well, I think it's, it's a little more complicated than people on either side of the debate have made it out to be. But I think if you look historically— uh, nationalism is an idea rooted in uh, the identity of tribes, of ethnic, ethno-linguistic groups uh, that throughout history have founded countries and political states. Uh, but the idea is still very much linked to this uh, kind of blood uh, relation, blood group type idea, whereas patriotism historically uh, is linked uh, originally to ancient Greek and Roman ideas of citizenship in a politi political republic, which uh, does not necessarily link to that uh, blood tribal element. Uh, and in the modern world, those two things have come to overlap a great deal, and particularly in the United States, um, and which is actually, I, as I argue in the piece, the root of American exceptionalism, that uh, you, pretty uniquely uh, in the world, our national identity is tied up in its most fundamental sense with our political ideas uh, and the roots of our political republic. Uh, and so what I think the, um, the kind of Trumpian uh, movement, the Trumpian nationalism, I would say misses is that they uh, more or less either ignore or uh, omit or actively deny uh, that uh, very close link between our political ideals and our national identity and try to move us more towards something that is the, the kind of common state of nationalism in the rest of the world, which is more closely linked to uh, this, um, just the ethno-linguistic group, the national culture, uh, and omitting the thing that makes us special and unique in the world, which is that we've built our identity on top of universal ideals. 
You know, I uh, get asked to give speeches on occasion, and the, one of the speech I give called Making Our America, and you basically lay out my, in fact, I'm now obsolete, thanks to this great piece, because you make this, <laughs> well, you make this point so powerfully that America's unique in that it's founded on ideas. It's something known as France was already there before there was a French Republic, something, you know, England was already there, but right. we start from scratch. But I hear from Trump supporters of multiple hues and backgrounds who say, yeah, we're with you. It is a notion of America that we latch on to. We love Trump because he's not embarrassed to be from our America. Do you think they're talking about the same America that the founders laid out, that people who talk about America, the idea, traditionally lay out? Or are they talking about a different America that they perceive that they share? I think for the broad uh, majority of the country that that it is the same America. I think there are certainly on the uh, kind of extreme fringes on on either side, say on the the right, you do get towards a really kind of blood and soil nationalism and at the very extreme kind of white nationalism and something that very explicitly takes on uh, an ethnic tinge, ethnic tinge. And perhaps on the extreme opposite side, you, you do have some that really um, divorce any sort of cultural identity or, or cohesive national identity of America uh, separate from the ideals. And they would argue it really is just the ideas completely disembodied from the country itself. But I think, uh, you know, and, and I think those two sides often get in a cycle of kind of making that to be what the only thing the other side represents and kind of feed off each other in that uh, kind of vicious cycle. But I think the broad middle uh, do see an America that is both real, but also based on ideals. Uh, and I think that's where I would hope the country goes back towards in terms of uh, that broad middle coming to embrace both aspects of that, that we're, uh, you know, founded and based on uh, universal ideals, but the country that made those ideals real and made them, uh, manifested them on earth and had lasted for 200 years, that became the work of real people doing real work um, over two centuries. And, and through those two centuries, we've built up an entire culture, um, both a civic culture of the history of of working this out through our government, through the Constitution, but also in everything from our literature to our music to just everyday values that we take for granted. And as I point out in uh, in the article, foreigners are usually the ones who notice this first and foremost, uh, Alexis de Tocqueville being the, the most famous, um, because we just kind of take it for granted on, on such a grand scale. And I think I would hope that both sides can take a step back and realize just how special and unique that is and not uh, not kind of miss that uh, because we just take it for granted. So I want to so run would... a thesis by you that, that occurred to me while I was reading your piece, which is that this America that a lot of Trump supporters share, like you said, it's a mix of ideas and of location and whatever. Yeah. I think it's Bill O'Reilly's America, and I don't mean that in a snide, you know, inappropriate way. I mean right. in the sense that O'Reilly kind of has this vision of America from like the, whatever the 1950s to like you know the 1980s, and that that America that existed then is quote America, and it's almost like nostalgia uber alles as opposed to a nation or idea uber alles. Is that am I missing something? Do you think that that's how Trump sees it? Or does he see more? Is it more nefarious than I perceive? I think I think you're probably right. It's uh, you know I don't want to presume to know the the president's inner feelings, but particularly given the "Make America Great Again" aspect, I think 
you know, there's enough in that to see that there is uh, a degree of nostalgia for that past. And I think there are, you know, there are good things in that past that one can uh, can point to uh, in in supporting the kind of argument that I'm making. That I think if you look for all of its problems back in that age, there was, for instance, civics taught in uh, in schools, and there was uh, a kind of a degree more of feeling that we're all in this together. I mean, you look back to John Kennedy's inaugural address, uh, ask what, uh, not what your country can do for you, but for what, for what you can do for your country. Uh, and I think that's a spirit that, you know, people on both sides of the aisle have tried to, to bring back. But I think uh, it's, it's going back to the roots of that civic nationalism, you might call it, or again, a politically rooted patriotism that really can unite everyone. Whereas I think uh, maybe the instinct isn't nefarious, but if you go for that instinct of the past while, you know, accidentally or not, intentionally or not, basically not mentioning any of those political ideals that were based on, that leads down a road that can get a bit ugly uh, and where you can really go down a road that's exclusive, that's chauvinist, that makes, you know, an important large part of the American population feel like they're not really included in that quote-unquote, real America. You're listening to a conversation with Daniel Krauthammer, his great new cover story, What Makes America Great at the Weekly Standard. And this podcast is possible thanks to a great sponsor, SaneBox.com. If you're like me and you've been buried under emails, there is a way out, and it is called SaneBox. It doesn't evolve going through emails one at a time, like I used to do, sorting alphabetically, trying to figure out what you can delete, and then you can't delete them all because you might lose something important. Forget it. Don't go crazy. Go sane. Sanebox.com. Sanebox sorts through your email. It moves the junk out of the way into a different folder, and then it leaves the stuff in your inbox that you actually want to read. You can achieve inbox zero. You know what that means? It means that when you're done with your email, your inbox is empty. And when you get new emails, it's like two or three or four, and they're things you actually want to read. You can do that with SaneBox.com. And it offers a lot of other services too, like the black hole where you can make sure you never get another email from certain people. There's a way to kind of archive and go through emails in the future and then remind yourself that you want to email things later on. But my suggestion is try SaneBox.com right now for two weeks for free. Go to SaneBox.com slash weekly standard. At the end of that two-week trial, if you decide to buy, and I predict you will, you get a $25 credit because you went to SaneBox.com slash weekly standard. Now back to the podcast. You know, I think about the theme song from the movie All in the Family and the TV show All in the Family, you know, about those were the days and boy, you know, we could, you knew who you were then. And I, I just, that yeah. resonates with me from Trump people. And they, the people who share that feeling, they feel like that that America that they love, that they embraced has been losing. It's either, in fact, maybe it's even lost, that it's been defeated either politically or even, you know, uh, militarily or on the world stage. Where do you see winning and losing in Trump's view of what it means to make America great again? Uh, yeah, well, this is a point I make in the article that I think his, you know, he kind of ran on the idea of winning. And it was very much a adversarial idea, which is, I think, where the problem comes in, that there's a difference between having America and Americans succeed and get be materially better and materially safer, which I think is exactly what any government should do for its people. But that doesn't mean that we have to beat someone else to win. And that's where I think the, some of the issues with Trump's nationalism comes in, that it's very adversarial. It's very, uh, they've taken from us, they being either trading partners abroad or illegal immigrants within who are abusing us. Uh, and it's very 
much putting the blame on someone else and saying all we have to do is take back what's rightfully ours. Uh, and while there's, I think what Trump has done well and necessarily is point out just how, as you say, how much of uh, America feels like they have lost out and, and how the economy has not served them, how they've been left out by the culture. But, and I think that's an absolutely essential question that our politics has to answer. But the problem is, I think, the idea that it's just foreigners' fault or someone else's fault uh, is just not going to lead to any actual solutions. And I think we really need to have a far-reaching national conversation to talk about the ways that the economy has shifted irrevocably uh, and how uh, the society has changed and figure out ways to restore dignity and wealth and work to the part of America that's feeling left out in a forward-thinking way rather than a backward-thinking way. So you want to be the one to go into these communities in the rural South and in Appalachia and parts of the desert West and just say, sorry, got left behind. (laughs) Nothing for you. Good luck. Because that doesn't seem like a winning political strategy. No, exactly. But I think that that is the problem is that if you look across the spectrum in 2016, I think that was to a large degree what most of the mainstream candidates were in effect saying to those people that they weren't offering anything new Um, on both sides of the aisle. I think broad part of uh, of the policy offerings had been around for the last 30 years or so. And people, I think, wisely (laughs) have have said, uh, well, this, you know, this bit like Lucy with the football, you keep saying the same things, but it doesn't help me. So I think, you know, very, a lot of people were very justified in looking to someone like Trump uh, or on the other side of the aisle, someone like Bernie Sanders, who were at least saying something different and new. Um, But again, I would say the answer is, uh, I just don't believe that um, the bulk of Trump's agenda, particularly the, the nationalist kind of blaming others rather than figuring out really new innovative solutions is the way to go. But I think in response, if the mainstream or however you want to call you know, this uh, kind of broad middle I would refer to wants to have a winning argument against Trump, they really need to have uh, a real fundamental rethinking of policy, start looking at um, new ideas, new innovative thinking uh, that'll, I think, probably cross uh, old ideological lines. Uh, And so you're totally right. You can't just go to these places and say, too bad you're left behind. But but we need, I would say, real solutions. And I I don't believe uh, that the bulk of uh, Trump's agenda is going to actually offer those solutions. There's been so much talk about Trump and from Trump, and it seems like it's hyperbole all the way around, whether it's people in the streets marching, you know, about the death of planet Earth because of Trump or whether it's yeah. the media, you know, uh, uh, twisting their own arm into contortions to pat themselves on the back for, re- for resisting the, uh, you know, the Fourth Reich of Trumpism to the Trump side saying, oh, my gosh, if we don't make America great now, America is doomed. Where are you on the apocalypse-ometer? I mean, do you think Trump is as dangerous as some say? Do you think America is in as much danger, or the idea of America is in as much danger as people on both sides of the Trump debate feel? Uh, yeah, I think I'm a little more on the, uh, you know, not my head is not exploding <laughs> end of the scale. I think, as you point out, both sides, I think, are getting pretty hyperbolic. Um, so I'm, I'm retaining a a, uh, a optimistic outlook that I think um, I was not the, the biggest fan of the president, but, uh, but I've disagreed with uh, many things he's done in office. But I think 
from a position of, of someone who was very worried when he was coming in, it's, uh, he's shown more flexibility and more openness to uh, a lot of the, uh, more, more of the policies and ideas that I support than I might have thought. Uh, and for, for all, particularly in the rhetoric and his style, uh, I think he's undermined a lot of, uh, kind of these core ideals that we have and, uh, and ideas that we need to uphold. But on the actual policy front, out of a combination of his own flexibility and also just running into the checks and balances in our system, uh, you know, I think that system is pretty resilient and I'm, I'm not apocalyptic on uh, kind of on either end of the scale there. So one of the, the points I make in the article is uh, that I think conservatives, uh, both like me or those who are uh, maybe a little more on, on the, in favor of Trump's general nationalist agenda, uh, you know, let's not lock ourselves in. Let's still argue for what we believe uh, the absolute best outcome is and, uh, and support uh, a side of the president that he put front and center in the campaign, which was the pragmatic, results-oriented businessman. And I think, if anything, we should all agree to be a little less set in our ideological ways, whatever that is, uh, to try to figure out solutions that will really work for the American people. Daniel Krauthammer, terrific cover story in this week's Weekly Standard. What makes America great? Thanks so much for joining us for the podcast. We really appreciate your time. Thank you, Michael. Thanks so much for listening to this edition of the Daily Standard podcast. You can find all our podcasts at weeklystandard.com or better still, just subscribe to them at iTunes or Google Play by searching Weekly Standard. When you subscribe, you'll never miss an episode of the Daily Standard, including our special features, the Confab every weekend and Crystal Clear every Friday. Plus, you can leave reviews of the podcast and let people know that you found content that you enjoy. Don't enjoy it? Have a question, comment, or complaint? Just email podcasts at weeklystandard.com. Thanks again for listening. I'm your host, Michael Graham.